This week I was reminded of the fact that you and I, we were really born to worship. It, honestly, it's just, it's how we are put together. It's how we're designed. It's, it's almost as if it's in our spiritual DNA. There is just something about us that seems to want someone to emulate. I, I think that's why our kids, at least when they're little, so often they imitate us. But imitation is, is just the beginning. You and I, we were created for something far greater than mere imitation. We were created to worship, and we were created to worship God. And here's the reality. We only find fulfillment in life when we fully give ourselves to worshiping God. It was Augustine who said that because God has made us for himself, our hearts are restless until they rest in him. What Augustine is pointing us to here is the biblical truth that we were made by God and we were made for God. That's what Paul declares in, a Roman, in Romans chapter 11. There in verse 36, he says this, for from him and through him, and to him are all things. And all things, that includes you and me, that we were made for God and we were made by God and we were made to achieve this purpose. Look at Paul's closing words there in verse 36. To him be the glory forever. We were made so that God might be glorified. We were made to worship but we were also born broken. There is within each and every one of us a subversive rebelliousness that shows itself early and shows itself often. We start off by rebelling against parents and then teachers. Eventually we rebel against our bosses. Really, we rebel against any and all who would take authority over us. And though we may not think about it, we rebel most of all against God. 1 John chapter 3, there in verse 4, it says this, Everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. That word translated lawlessness, it, it, it most simply means an utter disregard for God and for his laws. So you and I were created by God and we were created for God and yet we rebel against him. First and foremost, we rebel by choosing to live our lives in worship of any other. And yet even though we are broken and rebellious, we still feel that inner desire to worship. And so we end up picking a lesser substitute, something to replace God, who is rightfully the one we should be worshiping. You know, in ancient times, and, and even in days like today, in some parts of our world, men make big or little statues that they then bow down and worship. In our culture, we don't do that. 
but instead we exalt celebrities or athletes or billionaires. We copy them, we honor them, we obsess over them, and we give our lives in worship to the pursuit of things like prosperity or pleasure. We may not want to see this in ourselves, but it's true. It's true of all of us. I guarantee you that you are using your life in some way to worship someone or something. Success, independence, beauty, popularity, strength, intelligence. Oh, the list of our possible idols goes on and on. Of course, the most common idol of all is that of self. It seems that the, the worship is just hardwired into us. We just can't not worship. Maybe you don't think that's true of you. Maybe you don't think that you're a worshiper, but I would challenge you to ask yourself these questions. What is it in your life that you can't seem to control? I would say you can't control it because you worship it. What is it that irresistibly draws you? or has somehow mastered you. It may just be that those are things you worship. Maybe we can try this angle. Where do you turn when life gets hard? Or what do you do when you want to reward yourself? Because I think that might point to what it is that you worship. What it really comes down to is this. What do you want? more than anything else in this life. Those things very possibly are the idols in your life. Understand this, they are unworthy of your worship. They are no better than the idols of stone or wood that the ancients made. Maybe you haven't ever thought about this before. But your worship is incomprehensibly valuable. When we worship, we worship with our whole lives. We are pledging our lives, submitting them, shaping them. You and I, we are eternal creatures. Think about that. Think about that for a moment. When we worship, we are giving away something that is eternal. When we give ourselves in this life to something, that is the thing to which we will belong for all eternity. You see, there is only one who is worthy of our worship, and that's Jesus. He is the only one who's worthy because he is the only one who can offer you eternal life. Celebrities, billionaires, gurus, wealth, leisure, pleasure, power, none of that, none of that can give you anything beyond this life. Only Jesus can reach beyond this life. Only Jesus can give us eternal life. That's why only Jesus is worthy of our worship. He is the only one who can bring us to heaven, 
to be with him for all of eternity. As Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, there he proclaimed, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now that's a big claim. That's a very big claim. But Jesus didn't just make that claim, he proved it. Jesus gave up his life for our sake upon the cross. But then, three days later, he rose victorious over death. The validity of Jesus' claim is proven by the resurrection. Because he defeated death, we can trust him to take us beyond death. The resurrection has been the very core of the gospel message from the very beginning. The Apostle Paul explains it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There in verses 3 and 4, he says this, For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. That, my friends, is what today is all about. We celebrate Easter because Jesus is alive. He's alive. He's alive. That's what the scriptures tell us. Let, let's take a look at the scriptural account of that first Easter Sunday. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, and there beginning in verse 1, listen to what it says. On the first day of the week, on Sunday, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing spices they had prepared. Remember the context here. Earlier that very same week, Jesus had been arrested in the middle of the night. The, the religious leaders had condemned him, and then they sent him to the Roman authorities to have him executed. Friday morning, he was crucified. He was nailed to a cross, and by Friday afternoon, he was dead. Just before the Sabbath began, the men had placed his body in a tomb, but now that the Sabbath was over, the women came. The women came very early, while it was still dark, intending to honor their dead rabbi by putting more of the traditional spices onto his linen-wrapped corpse. But what they found was not what they expected. Look at verse 2. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in, but they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. You see, on Friday, they had watched Jesus be crucified. And they watched him die. And then they watched as Joseph and Nicodemus placed his body in the tomb. And as they sealed it with the stone. But now, now they saw that the massive stone that sealed the opening of the tomb, it had been rolled away. And they saw that Jesus' body was gone. Oh, they knew what they had witnessed just a few days earlier. But what they saw now, it left them confused and wondering. 
So in verse 4 we read, while they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men, two men, we'll, we'll know later these are angels, stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. And the angels said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. The, these angels, these heaven-sent messengers, they tell these grieving women that they have no need to grieve because Jesus has risen. He's alive. They have been looking for a corpse, but Jesus was and Jesus is alive. They were looking for the body of their murdered rabbi. But you see, Jesus is the living lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world. And having paid for our sin debt with his death, he defeated death, rising to life, never to die again. So that one glorious day, you and I, so that all who put their hope in Christ will rise with him. Dear friends, he is risen. I wonder if the, the magnitude of those words fully registered with those women that early morning. I, I don't see how it could have. I don't think you or I grasp it fully. Jesus' sacrificial death and his eternal resurrection they not only put God's unfathomable power on, on clear display, but it also accomplished for us something that we could never gain on our own. Paul puts it this way in Corinthians. He says that he who had never sinned became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He put it this way to the Romans in Romans 4.25. Christ was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. But what Paul is saying is that Jesus died to pay for our sin and that he rose in order to bring us to be with him in heaven in perfection for all of eternity. The death and resurrection of Jesus they are the cornerstone of our faith. Without them, Christianity is nothing more than pointless morality. But because Christ did die in our place, because he did rise victorious over death, we who are broken and rebellious, we can turn from our idols and instead we can worship with our life the only one who is truly worthy of our worship, Jesus, the risen Savior. He and he alone is worthy of our worship. He and he alone is righteous without fault or failure. He and he alone is perfectly loving and compassionate. Jesus alone is completely just and truly good. He alone is our creator and the sustainer of our lives. And he alone is returning soon to take us to be with him. He alone is God Almighty. And when we worship him, 
we give ourselves and we give this life to him. We become his for all eternity, forgiven and cleansed and glorified so that one day when we are with him, we will reign and rule with him. We will abide with him for all eternity. Dear friends, Jesus is risen. He's risen. And so it's time to turn away from our idols. It's time to worship him with our whole lives, with all of our living. Whatever your idols are, turn away from them and turn to Christ. Are you like Nicodemus was before he met Christ? Nicodemus was a very religious man. His idol might have been his self-sufficiency, his self-righteousness, or maybe his idol was wanting others to think well of him. Maybe it was thinking that he was good enough to earn God's approval. But in John chapter 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus that unless he is born again, he can't even see the kingdom of God. In other words, Nicodemus, you're not good enough. You have to have a new birth in Jesus. You have to turn away from your idols and turn to the Christ. Maybe you're like Zacchaeus. Maybe God isn't your thing. Maybe your idol is prosperity, success. As long as you've got money, as long as you're making your mark in this world, you feel that you have security. But in Luke chapter 19, Zacchaeus learned that if, even if it means giving away all that you have, Jesus is better. It's better to have Jesus than to have anything or everything else. Or maybe you this morning are like that woman that Jesus met by the well of Sychar there in Samaria. Maybe like her, whatever your idols are, they have left you hopeless and powerless and ravaged. In John chapter four, Jesus offers even her living water, new life, forgiveness, hope. She learns that even she can be saved because no one is too far gone. Jesus is calling you. He's calling you as well. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says this, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Dear friends, are you tired of serving idols that devour you? Come to Christ, worship him, and you, you will find that he will fill you with his Holy Spirit, that he will give you new life, real life, eternal life. And you will be with him forever in heaven. Jesus goes on to say, take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart. 
Jesus says to yoke or to bind ourselves to him, to bind ourselves to Christ, to let him shape and guide us, worship him with our living, to be changed by him so that we might become more like him. Turn to Christ, bind yourself to him, let him begin to shape and to form you. And then Jesus says this, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Because you see, this is what you were made for. You were made to worship and you were made to worship him. This is what you were created to do. And though this life is a battle and following Christ there are times when it is very difficult, yet it is what you were made for. It's what you were made to do. And so all along the journey, there is peace and there is assurance and there is hope and there is joy because you're doing the thing that you were created to do. Worship Jesus. We're all worshipers. We all worship something or someone. But there is only one who is worthy of our worship. And that is the risen and soon returning Savior, Jesus. He is risen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you for this, this time together. Lord, I pray that this truth, this reality would soak into our minds and into our hearts and it would impact the way that we live, the way that we see life, that Christ is risen and that our lives are lives of worship. God, I pray that we would be people who worship the only one who is worthy. Father, I pray for any who do not yet know the Savior, that this very morning, that they would turn to Christ, that they would turn away from their idols, that they would turn away from their sin. They would ask for his forgiveness. They would receive that. They would become his child. They'd be filled with his spirit. And that they would know the peace and the joy of being loved by the Savior, of being freed from sin, and of living for that thing that we were made to live for. God, I pray for all of us, for each and every one of us, that we would live the rest of our days as an act of worship of the Savior that Jesus would be glorified. And Lord, we long for your return. Strengthen us until that day. The Lord, we ask, come soon. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.